0: This is Captain Lee, and you're listening to the Andertons Podcast. <laughs> hey everybody! Welcome to another episode on Anderson's TV, and it's a very special Captain Meets interview today because, despite the fact that I've known Rebeer since he was four years old, uh, we've never actually uh, done a proper interview with him. So, welcome! Hello. Officially, this is great. I know. As nice. the subject of, yeah. of a video, I feel a bit than weird. Just a normal co-presenter.
1: I know. I Feels slightly odd, but it's
0: good. Um it's very cool actually because just despite the fact that i've not really known him since he was four but i've known i've known rabir for a while but we've never really delved you know no. into what it was like we've just talked a lot of
1: random stuff over the random years rubbish yeah
0: um so i think most people will know uh most people will know a little bit about you from you know where you're at, at the moment and musically what you're doing right now but if we go back to the start mm-hmm. um I've met your mum and dad. They're you have. Super, super cool people. So yeah. I, I can imagine that growing up in the Mossad household, uh, was surrounded by cool things and cool music. But t- take me, take us back.
1: Take you back. I, uh, so, grew up in Leeds in West Yorkshire. Um, and my, my dad was in a band with his brothers. That was kind of, so my mum worked full time. My dad did basically the band thing. You know, like the classic band dream with his brothers. And, um... Yeah, they used to gig a lot and they'd write a lot of music, but they used to rehearse at home. So the the dining room of the of the house at the time um would basically have them rehearsing like a few nights a week and they lived locally. And so I'd be in there sometimes with ear defenders on or whatever. Wicked. Just sitting around and I remember the my dad had a fender strat. And you remember the old hard shell cases that had it like engraved into the case. Yeah. Well, I used to just be obsessed with that and used to play with all my toys on it and then open it up when he wasn't there and play with the guitar, really just not trying to play. But I actually played drums first. That was the thing that kicked it off, I think, cause I was a mischievous young child and making noise and annoying parents was definitely the definitely the the main thing on my agenda most days. But uh yeah, I had no interest in music or guitar for a long time. Started playing drums from like eight um in a band at school called camouflage good name <laughs> good name <laughs> camouflage we played the school disco kind of stuff we we played, we? we played cheryl crow we nice. played cheryl crow you know that ch- song change would do you good or something cheryl crow yeah she was great she's a fox yeah she is she's great um so True. yeah well
0: um <laughs> but where did that so it was you know a, a quite a just a poppy poppy rock band, was it, at the sort of at that time?
1: Yeah, I think we wrote one song and I can't remember. It was some I think it was called Madly in Love. Yeah, so I was I was the drummer though, so How old were you again? Eight. Of course you know all about that right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we did that. That was quite a lot of fun. Um and then I just kinda of didn't really do much with music at all. Went to high school, sort of got involved there and then picked up drums again. But really skateboarding was the thing I was Obsessed with. So I'm I'm confused here then. So I was kind of around music from a young age. But but the guitar, which obviously you're known for now. Yeah.
0: What, how old were you when you picked one of those? I was nearly
1: then? sixteen. No yeah. way. Didn't really didn't really play guitar at all. I think I picked it up around 12 11 12 for maybe eight nine months, but really just bar chords and stuff. Mm. Um, in year seven. But then I just kind of didn't enjoy it. I think we played a gig. I remember playing some sort of like local community park thing in town and uh, it went really badly. Like I was just rubbish and <laughs> I couldn't, and I tried to do a guitar solo and it went horribly wrong. We've got a video of it somewhere. It's yes. really bad. And I look just in the video so angry because it's just, I know it's terrible. It'd be so awesome if
0: we could get five seconds of that video to appear just here. <laughs>
1: Well that was terrible and so I think that put me off and drums was more fun still and then skateboarding took over my life to be honest for for quite a few years mm-hmm. and I I did you know there was a, a year where a few competitions were entered and things like that so I was really into it and then I snapped my ACL um which put me out of action completely from drumming as well because I had to have like a brace and yeah. crutches and all this rest of it and uh I think through boredom and not being able to do anything musically, picked up the guitar. It was just at the house because my dad had stopped playing; the band, his band, had finished, and he, he didn't get rid of his Fender or anything. So I just started strumming that again, and think from drumming was like, oh, I can hold a groove. This is this is progressing quite quick. And it wasn't until there was a there was a guy working on the extension of the house; he was a plumber, and he heard me noodling away or whatever, and he walked in. He's like, oh, you play guitar, do you? I'm from Yorkshire, or whatever and I was like yeah yeah he's like have you heard of have you heard of metallica well yeah i've kind of yeah i don't really listen to him he's like right i'll come back tomorrow with something for you he walks in he's like here's master of puppets it's a tab book and the cd and he's like learn that you'll thank me later <laughs> and i was like okay so i had this master of puppets tab book and master of puppets and just i just started learning that i mean i wasn't even really a a huge metallica fan but it was some it was like a challenge to yeah. overcome And i think through learning the solos and learning the rhythm it took me maybe a year of solid practice but i got through it to the point where i was like right what's next and then that's how guitar suddenly became an obsession was like the next challenge and then the next challenge and then it was when dad my dad went extreme nuno bettencourt learn this learn learn the whole back catalogue see where where you get and then that was me so prior
0: to nuno i mean i know nuno's your sort of mega hero But at 16, Mm. when you're just getting back into, or probably getting into the guitar for the first time, seriously, Mm. semi-seriously, who was the guitar hero? Or really wasn't there one?
1: I think at the time, uh, there wasn't really one, but I think the first time I ever sort of felt like that's somebody I want to be able to play like, the first time was probably uh, Justin Hawkins from The Darkness. Really? Because I'd done Metallica and that was fun. But then the darkness exploded around yeah. that time and i think it was just the the Les Paul custom and the and they're just the flaunting it all and he could shred a bit and i remember just thinking that's the coolest thing i've ever seen and i saw him at leeds fest and then it was like yeah i want to do that learn that album and then my mate dropped off the extremist by joe satriani played me some Ingve and i was like ah oh, there's no way i'll be able to do that yeah we'll put that to one side but the extremist i started learning that and i think those two in tandem It was like a bit of Satch and a bit of the darkness, and it It was doing that, and then Extreme took over, really. But yeah, that wasn't really a thing until then.
0: What on the Extreme front? I mean, I I remember Porn and Graffiti coming out when in the what was that mid to late eighties. So you were listening to Extreme
1: what many years, fifteen
0: years after they'd really had their.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, I was born in eighty-eight, so that's when it came out wasn't it or oh, 89 or something it <laughs> came out then so I wasn't around when it was big you know and I think because my dad was into it he used to put it on in the car when we were young before it's music huge rest in peace was the song from three sides to every story that he they played it in his band and they were really into that particular song and um, I think that that album is much bigger for me three sides but Pornography was obviously huge yeah.
0: So you've gone from, you know, getting back into the guitar. Clearly, there's something about the kind of the guitar virtuoso that uh, that you've liked, you know, mm. whether it's Satch or Nuno or whatever. Mm. Um, when did it feel, you know, when when did, w- were you in a place where it was easy for you to, to join a band? I mean, I know Ben and Dave are, are old friends of yours. Mm. Um, so was it, was that just a natural thing? Or did you, you know, did you have to sort of, Auditioned to be in other bands, or what was the?
1: I, I I had a couple of friends at school that kind of took an interest in it. There was a guy I used to skate with a lot, Ross Brabiner. and um, he got into. He really liked Blink One Eight Two. Okay. And at the time, you know, I liked them as well from skating the skater punk thing. Uh, and it, he he didn't drum at the time, but he always took an interest. So I, being a drummer, you know, was showed him a few basics, and then he just went off and one became a drummer at school, at least and then it was okay well now i've got a drummer and then there was a mate of mine that was like i'll give bass a bash you know and so we just had a three-piece called call for aid and then that was quite fun we used to giggle around that we did a few battle of the bands and recorded some songs and that's really embarrassing as well (laughs) i sang i was lead vocals
0: drums and singing
1: no lead guitar so
0: you're you're guitaring now and singing, right and it,
1: it was it was terrible
0: was it? I don't
1: think I've ever heard you, ever heard you sing. <laughs> no, it's bad. It's bad. <laughs> it's me really trying and just being like, well, I've got no choice here. <laughs> you know, Instrumental music wasn't really a thing back then, or one that I wasn't aware of. But yeah, that, that kind of got set up in GCSE year, really. So I'd been playing seriously for maybe 18 months, two years, so I could play a few riffs and a few bits of lead. And then after GCSE, then it was Leeds College of Music, which is where I met Dave. right. So that was two thousand and four or five, right? So,
0: how do you, you know, I don't want to blow smoke up your backside or anything like that. But how do you go from starting to learn to play the guitar at sixteen and getting to the kind of level that you were by eighteen or nineteen? Because I don't, there's got to be, is it? Was it just an intense amount of dedication towards playing it, or was there a? teacher that inspired something or
1: some was it the drumming background I'm just I think so I think something that I have that maybe other people do as well is I just have a lot of patience and I think when I was that age and I still have it now I'd be trying to learn a song or a solo or something and I literally would keep doing it over and over and over and over again and not getting annoyed just being like I haven't got it. it's almost like a tunnel vision state of mind and Would not stop until I'd got it down. And then I would do that daily because I'd be trying to do this or that and just always wanting to play the guitar for that sort of intense learning period of three, four years and um, just spent hours and hours just obsessing over the nuances in like Nuno's playing in that solo or something and having to make it sound... I had to listen to it and go, that sounds exactly like it. And so that obsession, I mean, it's probably some, you know... My mum once thought I was a bit... Autistic in that way, like mm. I've got a bit of a obsessive thing about having something to have to have it under my fingers. I think that's probably what it was—just, just not stopping, just being really patient and calm for hours on end until it was there. You know,
0: I wonder. I wonder if that's something that maybe the fact that you were a slightly later adopter of the of the guitar almost helped with. You know, but yeah. if, if you'd have been eleven or twelve, maybe wouldn't have been able to. Might have lost interest a bit yeah. more. Yeah. It's, and were you? were you trying to do it from here or was I'm trying you know, this sounds awful really doesn't it but was was YouTube even a thing then no no so you, you no would have Google to video it. no YouTube so you get ta- tabs and listen to the music really is I, I
1: almost exclusively put the CD on and then around it and would listen and I think that's been a huge help for me as a guitarist since then mm. is listening to something and then sort of transcribing it with my ears and working it out it's just been super handy for it's got me so far just mm. from that time of just listening to a cd and rewinding it and and you know when i was younger with my mates they'd put on like theme tunes or something and from having that trained mm. ear i could sort of quickly like play the theme tune along with it and they thought it was amazing theme, tune, theme. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting, I thought, we're doing all right here. We're going all right for now.
0: If anybody doesn't know, that was a that is a British sitcom. That uh, anyway, whatever. Um, so, uh, what 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 was the the like? You, you obviously chose to go to Le- Leeds College of, College of Music. Mm. So, had you kind of was enrolling there? the sort of the, the the first step on on a journey you'd al- you'd already kind of decided in your mind okay I, I want to be a musician yeah let's
1: do this much to my dad's uh, displeasure i suppose really? he because his experience had been really up and down mm-hmm. and around the houses and because they his band got a record deal right and they went to germany to record it and then the whole thing kind of just fell apart and i think that's when he kind of stopped playing guitar and so his experience had been like good in parts but then really bad and yeah. he was like i just don't want that for my son i just want him yeah. to get a degree and just go on and have a normal job what would
0: what a normal job have been do you think for you oh,
1: i can't even imagine i think I, I was good at art right so maybe in the art world whether it be illustration was my thing that i really really yeah. enjoyed i still do but um that's probably where it had gone but he didn't want me to do music at all and i think at that point i went I'm going to go to Leeds College of Music because I want to be a guitarist. Yeah, I want to be a rock star. That's what. I, that's all I thought to myself. I'm going to do that, and um, yeah. And then after that, it was just, just, just music for the rest one till now.
0: That's correct. So, I know you you studied at Leeds and then you came to ACM. Mm. Uh, so you had you know quite a intensive period of of um, quite structured sort of learning. What what did you you know what what were the the good and the bad things. Do you think about that? Those uh, that time of your life from from a learning sort of perspective. I'm trying to think of what advice would you maybe give to people who are perhaps a, a, of that age, thinking about what to do.
1: Um, that's a great question, and I think I'm definitely. And there'll be people that relate to this. Like I, I wasn't an academic at all. Just if it was fun, I'd enjoy it, whether it be whatever subject. And so when I went to Leeds College of Music, I think. There wasn't a big enough gap from high school to college where I did have a chance to kind of get a bit of perspective and go, I'm choosing to do this, so I should take it seriously. So Leeds College of Music was a massive DOS for me. I just, <laughs> I just went there, and I didn't focus. I just messed around, played loads of guitar. I met Dave and did a lot of jamming, but I just... I barely passed. Right. And then... And I think it really annoyed me, actually, after I'd finished, because I was like, that was a waste of opportunity. And then after that, we, we moved into a house together as the band, and we worked full-time for four or five years. So from like 2007-06 till 2010... You know, me, Ben and Dave and Charlie, the singer in the old band, we lived in a house together and worked full-time. So I was like, I worked at Bradford and Bingley in debt collection. And I didn't,
0: so it was a four-year gap
1: between finishing Leeds College yeah. of Music and going... So what's that,
0: you finished Leeds at, what, 18 or something and yeah, then yeah. didn't start at ACM till 22 or something? Yeah,
1: yeah, something like I that. I didn't yeah. realise. So, yeah, yeah. OK, so you had four four years of the real world. I worked, in, worked full-time <laughs> jobs, debt collection. That's I right. sold stair lifts, cold-calling stair lifts, you know. And old people that can't really hear you, you know, bless them. And you're like shouting down the phone. You actually, (laughs) in the training, had to say it in a certain way. The way they made you say stair lift and things like that, you know. It was bad. So it was a lot of time. You sold lottery tickets for a while, or (laughs) No, I didn't. No. No. Stair lift can be classed as a lottery ticket, I suppose. (laughs) uh... But yeah, that was... Rubbish. And, to be and did that did
0: that period in your life just utterly reinforce your
1: desire to make a career yeah, out of music? Completely, because you you know we gigged the weekends and we lived together. It was like living as students, but you mm-hmm. didn't have all our friends were at uni after college, and we we'd go and visit them in Sheffield or Manchester and be like, "That's ah, so much fun! Look, they don't have to do anything. They got us <laughs> money, student loan, and they have fun. And we work full time. <laughs> Being in the office for seven eight is horrible." So. I think Ben was the first one to go, I just can't do this anymore. I am I have to leave Yorkshire. I'm going to ACM. Right. And I think that sparked panic in all of us because we were so attached to the band, especially me. I was like, I don't want to not play with Ben and Dave, especially because, mm. you know, we, we had chemistry. So I was like, all right, well, I'll go then. And Dave was like, well, I'll go then. And then Charlie the same. So we all enrolled. We all got in and we all moved from Yorkshire down to Guildford in 2010. And that's when... Going back to your question, at that point I was a bit older, a bit more mature, a little bit, and I was going right. Well, now I've got an actual loan. I've taken money out. You know, back then it was three thousand six hundred quid a year, so it was still a lot of money. And I think I just went right. Don't mess this up. Mm. Of course, that's when I met my girlfriend Hannah. So that's <laughs> stopped going in after that for quite some time. But in that three years, you know, I d- and I got my degree. Yeah. But in that time, that's when I met Rob. I met him in the in the beginning of the second year. Met Rob. Met you. And then what? suddenly,
0: I think this is a freaky, freaky quirk of fate. And I don't know if I've remembered this properly or not. But but literally, was that time that Ro- that when you were working in the Stoke and Rob and I went in there to get a pizza for lunch? Was that the first time that? Yeah. I mean, you should tell that story because I just think that that's just <laughs> like you know of, that is a million
1: to one. So the only reason that I know Rob at all before that was going, my obsession with Nuno. Like I used to look up N- N4 guitars on mm-hmm. YouTube, because YouTube had just been a thing. And I found this Python skin N4 that was like a limited run. I was like, oh, so cool. Went on, there's this dude with a ponytail, glasses and a big beard, burly jolly guy, shredding away. I was like, he didn't quite play. He, my mom <laughs> and hate alright. right? I'll let him <laughs> off. He's all right. In this video, I was like, that's a really cool guy. And uh, you know his laugh is yeah. so distinctive. And anyway, that had sort of—I remember that. And I actually ended up having a big keyboard warrior fight before I had YouTube. I had a troll account back then. Shouldn't know if I should be saying this online. I had oh, a little troll account. Man, they've just gone down in my estimation. Yeah. That, so. <laughs> yeah, It was, it was, it was mainly for people that were being trolls that I would troll them. Right, okay. So you're like troll hunter. Yeah, okay. the, the account was called "Your Mum Has Balls." <laughs> <laughs> I could probably still find some stuff. I deleted the account. Yeah, it definitely did. And I used to and there was a guy that was trolling Rob in this video, and I went on and trolled the guy. I was, you know, like defending Rob, even though I didn't know the guy or anything about him. But that was my thing. There's probably someone watching this that was like, I've been trolled by me. you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh anyway, so when he walked into the pub, he didn't have long hair, he'd shaved it all off. He was wearing like a like a one of those khaki green safari cap hat things see. just classic rob yeah you know apparel anyway he he chuckled to himself and i went now that's what flicked it i right. went you're that guy from youtube aren't you he's like yeah yeah i was like yeah yeah, yeah. i've seen you play an n4 and he's like i remember that bloody, blah blah, blah blah and then i don't know why but something in my head went you should ask him if he wants to jam in my head so i went do you want to jam and he's like well do you play guitar? I was like, oh yeah, sorry, yeah, I play guitar. And it became this kind of... And he went back outside with his pizza that day at the Stoke. And there was a bunch of guys that had... So I'd been at a house party the week before, got really drunk, and there was a jam going on in the lounge of this house party. And I went in there and I just shredded my like to my heart's content. And those guys were at the party and they'd remembered that and told Rob when he went outside. And went, oh, that guy was at a house party last week, he's really good or whatever. He came back in and went, yeah, I'll give. We'll have a jam. You know, you've come really highly regarded from those guys out there. Yeah, give me a number, and then, and then he went. I'm doing a festival in it this month. Do you want to play guitar for me? Monkey Fest, and do you have a drummer and a bass player? Yeah, I live with drummer and a bass player. And then after that, and then it was the following month. Came to, down to sticks with you and Lee, uh, with and Robin did. Whammy DT was the first video. Was it
0: really? <laughs> Said in my mind, I just I just remember going for Pete and and Rob and I don't even normally go there for lunch no. or whatever like that. And I just remember the some bloke behind the bar literally going, "Do you want a jam?" And sort of thinking, "Yeah, that's pretty forward." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. yeah. But, you know, but it's just like and 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 also as well, I just I don't know, it's just it's just. It's one of those things, isn't it? Like, you mm. know, in, in those many strains of life that are going on in alternate
1: universes, it was just like... Yeah. was a real, like, million to one... Totally, totally. But, you can't plan that kind of thing or write it, um, even. So go back to...
0: I remember, again, in the early days, you sort of saying you... Fi- I, I'm going to try and bring this back to the sort of the education side of things now and, and sort of saying that you struggled with the idea that that quite early on at ACM you realized that you that you could um have a career in in music as a guitar mm. player and you wanted to go be, be out there doing it yeah but that actually the sort of the constraints of the lectures and having to be here were almost at odds with yeah. that and that it was quite a difficult last sort of year or so for you at ACM yeah. so, what can you
1: yeah, yeah yeah it was it exactly like you say you know, after meeting Rob and then sort of becoming, and with you and the Andertons and then everything kind of taking off a bit, you know, with the YouTube channel. And t- I was teaching guitar on YouTube and doing videos and then stuff started to take off. I was in ACM a lot less. And and then I got in that band with James Toesland. Mm. And then that took off because he was, we were in the studio for a while and then he wanted to start touring. So I was in ACM a lot less. And that was in the final year when the dissertation had to be in. And that was really difficult because, well, my experience of that and to all those that are watching that are in that position, like totally, if it's a great opportunity, you really need to weigh it up because at the time I really didn't know. And the guy at ACM, uh, my course leader said, you know, it's going to be fine, but you just need to make sure that you do balance it because otherwise you won't be eligible to pass Mm -hmm. or whatever. Unfortunately, when I handed my dissertation in, this course manager changed over and the guy that came in just decided that it wasn't acceptable and so my dissertation was capped at a pass because I was away on tour a bit too yeah. much. Yeah. But that being said, I think if you if you can weigh up your opportunities and see if it's worth actually going and doing that tour rather than finishing, I, I mean I'd probably say get a degree. Really? To be perfectly honest, yeah, because it's easy for for, for someone like uh, people like us to go, yeah, but you know we work in this all the time, mm. right? But I think for for a lot of people trying to get into either the session world or your band to be signed or online stuff like YouTube, they're very hard. All three of those things are really hard to, to achieve. So realistically, if you want to stay in music, you're either going to be doing function gigs, mm. teaching. Um, and you might find a break at some point, but those are the—that's the reality of it, right? So having something like a degree in the musical area of things, whether it's guitar production, whatever, I think is a really valuable thing to have because then you can at least prove that you're more qualified than Joe Blogs over there that never did that. But is you know,
0: gosh, is that, that's a trick. I can't—I'm—I can't remember who it was that I was doing an interview with, another uh, an,
1: an older guy.
0: But again, his, his advice was almost kind of the, not the opposite of that, but it was like he'd taken a very selfish, like every time a musical opportunity came up that mm. in his mind was like better than where he was at, all the loyalty went out the window and it was just like, take the next one, take because it's mm-hmm. like their offer might not ever come again.
1: I struggle with um, that. Loyalty is right. big for me. Right. With my friends and with everybody that I mean, if I did that, I'd just be... It'd be going around in my head. What do they think of me now? You know, like that yeah. kind of thing. Like, have I really ruined things? So I, I, I appreciate that because it gets you far. Mm. But I also think on the on the flip side, it's really good just to be the best person you can be before anything else, really. Life advice. Like, if I was a, if I was not a nice guy, you wouldn't want to work with me, would you?
0: No, I, I'm not. I, I don't I'm mean that he absolutely not suggesting. Yeah. yeah, be a nasty guy. But but take the view that you know, if you're if you're in a band that's here, yeah. And another band that's here goes, Do you want to be our guitar player? Yeah. It's like that person had said every time that opportunity went, he was just like, Yeah. And of course he ended up touring with, I'm pretty sure I remember who it is now. And but you know, he ended up touring with the
1: elite level. Yeah. You know. But that's um, that's great. It depends what you want out of it. If you're really passionate about your original material, mm. then that's really a choice that you need to make about how attached to it you are. Whereas when you're playing in bands, for the sake of playing in bands and enjoying mm. playing then really it's it's a choice whether to take that experience or not mm. and with the Toesland thing at the time door was mm. trying to get going and me ben and dave thought for our career it's it's way more beneficial to take the thing where someone's going we're going to record now and we're going to go on tour and this mm. that and the other and it was james toesland i mean for those who don't know he's a really famous uh, motorcyclist world um, champion
0: multi-world champion yeah,
1: two-time world champion but yeah we took that opportunity based on that idea that you just say, and it really didn't work out Mm. so i think from my experience it's better to just stick to the thing that you feel excited about and passionate Mm. because it will pay off if you pursue it you know
0: well i guess people will now or certainly people that have followed you know chappers and nandertons on youtube will will start to begin to say oh yeah that's i'm i sort of feel a bit more like that's where i did first met you and they'll mm. probably be a bit more familiar with what's happened to you since then mm. but talk about you know musically you've had a i mean you're still you're still a young guy but uh <laughs> you, you know you've you've had you've done some pretty big stuff you know with with obviously you've been at dorje tosca uh the toesland stuff the uh frog leap stuff mm. i mean tell us about some of the
1: highlights of the last you know five or six years yeah. Um well Dorje was the main serious one that the first thing that kicked off, you know. We'd released that EP, it hit number one for like a while. It That's was crazy. a couple of weeks it was there actually, yeah. in it in America and England. So that I think really sort of energized us all. And then we've done you know, that we did our first bus tour with Rob. Like he he wanted to do it for like full blast, you know. So we had Phil X and the drills came over and we did that whole bus tour around England. That was an incredible time, because... For the three of us, me, Ben and Dave especially, first time on a bus, first time on tour, you know, like lads, 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 you know, like playing these gigs and having booze every night. It was, it was, it was pretty fun. But then, yeah, like then Tosca became a thing. And I think that was, for so long we'd not done music, as I say, that old band I live with in Yorkshire, it was more in line with that in terms of the music, Um, but It'd been a long time since we kind of stretched our sort of progressive side of things and written just anything we felt like it. Didn't have to stick to any sort of agenda, being instrumental especially. So that that got exciting and then we moved to Brighton, everyone moved to Brighton in 2013. And then that kicked off and started getting gigs and people started really enjoying it. And then Dorje and Tosca sort of were doing this, you know, like... You know, Tosca was getting more gigs and better gigs. And then Dorje was the same thing happening, releasing EPs. And then the two were going in tandem. And then I suppose then, you know, Rob had uh, Theo. Rob and Nat had their baby. And then that kind of took him out of the picture for a bit uh, in band stuff. So Tosca's just kind of been the main focus. And it's been amazing. And then obviously with Frog Leap. This is over the last five years, like you say. Yeah. But then Frog Leap happened maybe a year and a half ago now, you know, meeting Leo through Nam through the Chapman thing because he played Chapman guitars and this was three Nams ago now, uh, doing a cover with him online and then it became, do you want to come over to Norway, hang out? And then I brought Hannah with me and then he was like, I'm doing a new cover. Do you want to get involved? Yeah, whatever. Turns out to be Africa. So Hannah sings the chorus, I do a solo. Then it's like the second most viewed video he's got. It's like 34 million views. It's mental. Uh, and then he's like, he rang me one day, said, "I'm thinking about doing this live." Oh, that's a good idea, man. He's like, "Yeah, I don't really want to do it if you don't want to do it, though. Do you want to be the guitarist?" <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, okay. That's a really thanks, you know." So I got embolded straight away because I just thought it'd be great fun, and that's been in terms of those like daydreams that you have where you go when you want to start playing guitar and you think about the kind of gigs you'd love to do one day. That's been the thing that's allowed that to happen, you know. We played Nova Rock just not long ago, and that was like 40,000 people, main stage, 1am. Insane. Uh, So That's where you stand there and you go, wow, fair play. This is something I'd never thought I'd get to experience, and sure enough, it's happening, so... I can't... I cannot
0: imagine. One of the things that I think I like uh, the most about you as a guitar player is... I mean, you obviously... Again, I think you're an insanely talented guitar player. I still remember that first Aromancy solo and oh, almost yeah. refusing to believe that that could even be done in <laughs> one take until I saw the video of you do it yeah. in one take. <laughs> <laughs> I do love about you is you're you're quite a serious gearhead in the sense of you take a lot more interest in what it is about the gear that creates the soundscape that you're trying to create Mm. Uh, particularly probably on the Tosca side side I mean obviously Tosca being the instrumental band you know Mm. it's it's much more than just you know playing guitar it's creating a Creating a soundscape, for want of a better word, but so tell us about the gear journey and what what is it that has always piqued your interest about equipment?
1: Well, I mean, I honestly didn't, genuinely had no interest in the gear I used before I got involved with Rob and met you guys and stuff. In the sense that I didn't even know what a valve amp was two years before that. I had played a Marshall DFX, Mm -hmm. like one of those little two. 212 combos and that I was like it's the best sound ever honestly you're not gonna and my mate had got a 50 watt Mesa recto and he and I'm like yeah but it's 50 watts mine's 100 watts it's gonna be great like so he was like yeah, alright bring it over and that was my introduction to Valve Amps like he turned this up to one and mine was on like six <laughs> and it just wiped the floor with it and I was like what is this wizardry so so then I bought a Valve I got my JVM mm-hmm. and so my my rig up until meeting Rob was a JVM 410 which I still have in love a boss dd6 a dd7 and a ph2 and that was it and i had that for years and years and years and that's all i used didn't care about anything else that sounds very Nuno inspired yeah that was literally it just (laughs) all i cared and i was always like guitar straight into amps. all you need you don't need anything else like anyone else that uses, you don't want your pedals to play for you that's just nonsense and now my pedal board's bigger than 90 (laughs) percent of any other guitar but I got into it, yeah. I think through, you know, Rob, the whole gear demo thing and then seeing that that became more of a, an interest of mine through it's an opportunity to, to work and get work. And also, you know, it's guitar. It's another side to it that I didn't really think about that actually you can really get geeky about and mm-hmm. get involved and learn loads. So, yeah, and then and then that journey started there. I, it was always based around... I had the JVM for the main, mainstay for years and years, but the pedals started to grow. And then... I heard of Strymon, uh, yeah. uh, my mate, uh, my Hannah's housemate, um, he had a Strymon timeline and he had it set up in stereo one day and I came over and it just, I just heard it as it came through the front door and went, what on earth is that guitar sound? Wandered in, he showed me around the pedal... So, sure enough, I used my student loan to buy one, like, the
0: <laughs> following week. <laughs> and, uh, student loans,
1: single-handedly propping up most music shops in the oh, UK. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, totally do it. If you have a student loan, buy some gear. And uh, then that started it all off, and then it became, you know... And then I got a mess of flux drive. I started to realise how different pedals reacted. Rob would give me a handful of stuff, like the Buffalo FX Germanium Fuzz, which I still use to mm-hmm. this day, um, realising that all these different elements can give you so many, so many more colours on your tonal palette. And uh, and then it was like the Mobius came out, so I got the Mobius, and then the, the, and then the big set, and then you start collecting, and then it became, how do I turn all these on and off with ease? And then got the gig rig, and I think, yeah, I just love gear, and, and specifically when it comes to Tosca and soundscapes and stuff, um, in a way the pedals do kind of play for you, because... When you have a singer in a band, 90% of listeners are focused on the singer and then the band embellish that experience around it. But, you know, the the guitarist might change his rig, you wouldn't even know because, you know, as long as it's kind of similar, you still focus on the singer. In an instrumental band, you don't have any of that. And so if I start changing things up, maybe it's not noticeable to those people that come see us or whatever, but to me, like, if I changed the Big Sky, for example it would completely change the character of the sound for that section of that song and suddenly you're changing the sound of the band, mm. really. Um, so it's really important to me and that's why I've stayed with the Strymon stuff um, and obviously now I use Victory but that was very much a kind of being involved with the design of the Kraken. It was still shaped around what mm. I wanted to hear anyway So, and they're the perfect amps for me now and it's kind of just that whole... I haven't really changed it.
0: Because I, I, I remember hearing you play i forget where it was it might have just been the boiler room or something like that Mm. and you had this uh i don't even recall it being i don't recall it at that stage being about the stereo nature of it but you had a 5150 and a jvm set to quite different sounds but Mm. running in parallel together and i remember hearing that and just going that is it's it's almost like Everything about the Marshall that you just went, I wish I had a bit more X. Yeah. And everything yeah, yeah. about the PV that you sort of think or that you sort of go, I wish, or, or the fifty whatever the whichever variant of the 5150 you had. Whatever, you, you know, the two together somehow just was like that's the sound. Yeah. And I and I remember you you saying you know that the 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 design project with Martin at, at Victory was very much about trying to sort of recreate that in something you know more portable and um more realistic to go and gig with and stuff but- it's a
1: yeah well with those it's a really funny you know I had the 5150 in the JVM back in Yorkshire when we were recording the album with the old band Chase and Jade and that's when I stumbled across that combination because mm. my friend who was mixing it and recording it I had my JVM he had a 5150 and we tried it just right. to see what it sounded like and it was like the ultimate tone for like, you know, modern, heavy, whatever, any kind of ambience. Because you could roll the volume down, and it'd yeah. be this beautiful clean. And as you turned it up, it became this just almighty sound that had all the clarity you need. And so I'd always remembered that combination. And then, yeah, like you say, that's what I did. I found a 5150, it was the Mark I. Not the block letter, but it was the Mark I. And then I just started pairing it up. And then it just did that thing. It took the fizz out of the fifty-one fifty, mm. and it added the girth to the martial sound. And so that was just the sound that I was like. After after that, I'm not not using that. And so when we did the Kraken, that was kind of the the foundation. And it's just tweaking those things, you know, even more so. And I still use two because mm. one channel is based around one kind of sound, the other. So I have them always, yeah. opposite channels. Yeah.
0: Where where mm. did you? I mean, I think most guitar players are familiar with this concept that if you turn the volume down on on your guitar, your mm. your overdriven valve amp will clean up. Mm. But I really, again, I felt you took that to like levels that I'd personally never heard before. Mm. In that, you know, you were you were getting the most dynamic, sparkly, clean sounds. Yeah. You know, presumably with the volume almost off on the guitar. Yeah, yeah. To the most the fattest biggest <laughs> guitar sounds with the volume on full yeah is that is that an you know did you have another guitar player that that was that you discovered that was doing that before you or was that a sort of an accidental discovery
1: or it was I'd say half and half in the sense that I kind of took it further just out of my own curiosity and trying to to make it work but where the idea where I became aware that that was the thing was actually the tender surrender video by Steve Vai Right. Do you remember that? Where no, he's wearing like so. a suit and he's like flying around. It's all like flamboyant. And then there's this one bit where he he's cleaning up to go back into the verse. And as he's doing it, it, between every chord, he's turning it down a tiny bit, tiny bit, tiny bit until it's nearly off and it's back to this clean sound that he has. And I think that's when I caught, that's when I learned that that's how you did it. And then mm. years later, just doing that. And it was mainly out of convenience because... I didn't have a switcher. I didn't know you mm-hmm. could get those, and I didn't have the foot switch, which was a five-pin DIN on the fifty-one fifty, mm-hmm. and then the JVMs, some other wizardry. So it was way easier just to keep everything on, turn them off manually, and just turn the volume down.
0: I think it's a better sound. Yeah. I really do. I, I, that the the well, I think we should try and recreate it here. But you know. if you're thinking I'd like to hear more about this, go and listen to the launch video that Rabir did for the the Kraken, the very, because that, there is this introduction of this incredibly dynamic, sparkly, clean Mm. tone with big reverbs and you know mm. and then there's this literally gradual or you know like and it's like listening to some sort of ford mustang <laughs> taking off down the road right. yeah. and you're just sitting there going wow it's all from the volume pot on the guitar it's it's i mean yeah. maybe we can maybe we can do it in here sort of with uh It's so haunting. Kind of thing. I love it. I mean, I think again, we, we've got the amps ever so low volume in here. I think it needs to be going. You, yeah. you, you'd, you'd hear a much bigger. But it just sounds amazing. And that's just using a reverb pedal, isn't it? In, in you know, fairness, that.
1: that is great. That's a GFI Specular Tempus on Infinity Reverb. It's just yeah. insane. It's really, really good. I'm gonna, I'm gonna loan. That's the one that we have <laughs> in the
0: video. I'm gonna loan it to a beer because it, it's like much as I think. I'm not, I absolutely don't think that that's better than the, than the uh, Stryman's, but... It has a f- f-
1: similar vibe to
0: it. Yeah, and, and it's so much, because it's a reverb and a delay in one pedal, it, mm. it could take the place of quite a load of pedals yeah, yeah. on the Stryman board, and it's MIDI and... It gets eh, that vibe. I'll yeah. lend it to you. You Thank can tell you. me whether you like it next time I see you. Awesome. So we, we talk, we've talked a little bit about the, the Kraken and the amps and stuff like that, mm. but prior to that... Um, rob asked you to, yeah. to get involved with with chapman which must have been uh kind of crazy
1: because you, you've had a chapman signature series for a long time a while now probably you? way before it was really deserved <laughs> <laughs> i mean i got involved with chapman kind of by accident you know because that was when i used to come up to the old warehouse yep. video room when you guys would be shooting and i remember the first time i did anything for chapman which was changing the shape of this on a piece of paper with a Sharpie because <laughs> yeah. he needed to redesign it. So he did that. And then demo stuff. And then yeah, it wasn't very long, maybe a year in to knowing you guys, maybe a year or two. And then Rob was like, do you want a signature model guitar? And me at the time thinking, yeah, I really do. But why? Because I'm not anybody. Like, you know, it seemed really weird, but I thought, you know, it'd be cool anyway. And then designed it. Um... And that's been... How many years must that have been now? Like four or five, maybe? Yeah, yeah. And the, f- and the second prototype is... I still use it. It's, yeah. Is this one. Yeah. Well, that, oh, that's I... the second prototype that I relicked and turned into a... You can so see a certain uh, other guitar player <laughs> inspiring that one before you've kind of done your own thing a bit more. Yeah. Ahead, haven't you? This one is... And I still gig this and use this all the time because there's so much vibe in it now. Even though I'd beaten it up, I'd then beaten it up further. Like that gouge in the above the pickups there is all me that's oh, not over here no that that you see oh, where the top wow there's like a crater you yeah. didn't even see that at first yeah and that's all me from gigging like that's not something i'd done before and that's so it i love that you can beat the hell out of it you know you know what makes me laugh so well? if someone actually did
0: that as a relic and put that much of a hole in it the i can hear customers going out it's so contrived that would never happen if you <laughs> you know and yet you sit there going wow and that's not even like what's that like five years old that guitar
1: Yeah yeah
0: wow yeah
1: two thousand is it made of paper
0: mache or something <laughs> it's like <laughs> i can't believe how much stuff's been gouged out
1: of that it's pretty mental but that's it you can beat the hell out of it and to Great. be fair the thing with the chapman stuff again it's solid stuff so yeah that guitar was i used for a long time and it was really yeah. cool and then it wasn't until designing this one where i think It was kind of a bit, I felt a little bit more comfortable in the fact that I was doing more online and being more of a guitarist in in the industry or whatever you want to call it. And yeah, so I made this and this is a really, people really like this one. Yeah. And this is just one from the shop, but this this one, people, I keep seeing photos of it on Instagram, people Mm -hmm. buying them and loving them. And it's just mental, to be honest. I
0: remember, I mean, I see it there's definitely two kind of camps for artist signature guitars you've got the artist that wants a signature guitar that basically goes look i basically really like the stock model that you do so can you just do it in my color yeah and hooray it's yeah, yeah, yeah and then you've got the guys maybe more like i guess things like the gem and stuff where where it's much more you can see the artist has gone yeah. okay let's let's really look at how we make this guitar to be the best and this is m- much closer for me anyway to that kind of you know, this was a ground-up design yeah. for you, rather than oh, can we just
1: yeah. make that one a
0: funky color? You know,
1: but I didn't want it to be an obvious signature. Mm. The only thing that, if you don't know anything about Chapman or me or YouTube or anything like that, the only thing that would signify that is is the the little logo on the back. Yeah, and outside of that, it's just a guitar that someone might look at and go, "That's a cool guitar. I'd like to play it." Yeah, and I think that's probably one of the reasons why. A lot of people have bought them now is because because of that i think it's just a cool different kind of guitar it's a familiar shape but then it's the neck word and just looks different you know you, i like the well i say i like the fact it's all horses for courses isn't it but i like i like the
0: fact that rather than going down the seven and eight string route which many sort of drop tune players will go down you stayed with six strings but went down the baritone route yeah, because I'm not good enough
1: to play seven <laughs> string. Like, can't hack the extra strings. threw me off too much. Uh, but yeah, I did. I I loved six string, and then the idea that you could play so low, but it felt just the same as a normal guitar was really mm. cool to me. Again, was one of those things. Started as a curiosity, became an obsession, and now, yeah, you can have this in a baritone, mm. and I love it. I think it's just it's a, it feels like a different instrument. Yeah, you write differently, and the kind of stuff you play is different. Um, I think every I mean I would say this
0: wouldn't I because I make my living out of selling guitars, but yeah. <laughs> I think everybody who owns a, a, a regular scale-length six string should get to a store and try a baritone. Yeah. Because it it's it's this weird blend of total familiarity. It's like you, you, <laughs> all the chords and everything, all the notes are in the same place, yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah. Even the feel is but all of a sudden m- the musically you just do everything differently yeah, it's a really
1: inspiring there's a instrument. warmth to it and it, mm-hmm. and it somehow it feels... it maybe cuz it vibrates more on your lap when you're playing too cuz the strings maybe. are thick. I don't know but it just makes you feel different when you play certain things yeah. like you could take any pop chord progression play it on a baritone it immediately sounds way cooler <laughs> <laughs> play eagle eye cherry on a baritone and see what happens you'll love it so
0: Let's let's just have a little bit. You, you know, you are very much the modern model, I think, for uh, a, a guitar player that that can financially support themselves. You know, or have a comfortable living from because you know you are going. Okay, yes, I, I want to make my own music, but mm. I accept that that's not necessarily the the the, the earner that it might have been mm. twenty five years ago. Or whatever. Yeah, you've. You've you've cracked this whole YouTube demonstrator kind of thing, or at least you know you're being very successful at it. You've take you've done some teaching courses. Um, you're working with brands in it on a product development level. Mm. So you know all these straws. Do do you think that is that is that the model now for anybody that wants to you know apart from that apart from like that very 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 top of the tree? Yeah. You, you know who? Yes, out of every. 50,000 guitar players, one of them will be Steve Vai or Eric or whatever like that, John Mayer. Um, (laughs) But, you know, the next big chunk of the pyramid is going to have to have a multitude of of incomes to to make it really work.
1: Yeah, I I fully think... I mean, I can only speak from my experience, but I, I feel like nowadays it's really important to diversify yourself. I think the... I think the the industry, whether, whether it be for bands or, or, you know, with Tosca, I'd notice the industry that would be doing stuff like Download Festival mm-hmm. and these kind of, that circuit is still catching up to the idea that online is as powerful as it is for mm-hmm. bands even. But, but for somebody that, you know, works on YouTube like myself and you guys and everything, it, it, you know, you have to... The amount of things I had to like become more competent at, whether it be like editing video or shooting video or, you know, like uh, engineering audio or, and then realizing that you've got a bit of a knack for design or like, it's really important to um, explore all your skills, Mm -hmm. whether or not you've discovered them yet or not, you might be really good with logistics. But you're a, you're a great guitar player, but you might be really good at logistics. turns out you're really good at being a tour manager. Mm. It's this completely different route. But I think having fingers in many pies is just crucial nowadays because, like you say, it's a very small gr- group of people that get to be in the elite. And, you know, life's expensive. It mm. really is, you know, like trying to live and support yourself and be able to do the things you want to do. If you don't want to work a normal job... Mm. And it, and it is a bit edge of your seat for a lot of years. For me, I was like taking on job after job after job and not really having a lot of personal life time uh, because I was kind of scared that I'd, it would dry up a bit and then right. you're kind of like, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, I'm going to, I, don't, I never want to work in an office again, basically, like that mentality. So yeah, it's definitely, my advice would be just diversify, like try and find as many different strengths in yourself that you can offer do you know, do you know I think one of the most undervalued skills that you have
0: is, is knowing how to invoice someone correctly for your services. Really? <laughs> well, I just like, honestly, not the amount you invoice, just the <laughs> fact that you send an invoice. Right, okay. It's like the number of musicians that are just utterly hopeless when it comes to finances you know, just be yeah. going, I need to send this out and I need to understand how to do
1: a tax return and, you know, all that kind of, it's just... Well, I attempted tax return twice, <laughs> and now my mum does it. <laughs> oh, well, at least you've got somebody doing it. <laughs> but she, but yeah, that, you learn how to do something and then you just do it. I just do what I was told in that area. Like with the YouTube thing, Rob went, make a YouTube channel, make put videos out, mm. blah, blah, X, Y, Z, here's all the bullet points. And I went, okay. I'll do that. It seems to have worked for you, so I'll do the same thing. Mm. And that's my approach with everything. And yeah, someone went, "You need to send an invoice." This is how you do it. All right, fine, I'll do it. I, I like think that said. other
0: thing as well. And I worry slightly now. I know, not just at my daughter's school, but I think schools generally. You know, you 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 go. What what do you want to do? What do you want to do when you grow up? And you, you don't hear. I want to be an astronaut or a doctor or anything no. anymore. You just hear. I want to be a YouTube star. Oh no! You know, it's like oh man. It's like. But I do think you know that there is a. You have to accept that on day one. You know that you are doing everything for for free and favors. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And just you know, there is a journey, and I guess for some people that journey might be if you're very very lucky, it might be six months to a year. But you mm-hmm. know, more realistically, it's five years, and probably even more realistically than that, it just won't happen anyway. You know, it's just like it'll, all, but. But you you absolutely, you know, everybody I know, Rob, Rabir, all the guys I know and girls that I know who are doing the YouTube thing, all lived hand to mouth for a number of years before you know, there was really enough income coming in for it to to start to feel like...
1: Yeah, I mean, like, Rob put me up in his flat in Brighton for nearly a year without paying rent because I didn't have the money to pay rent and he knew that I was trying to do this job, this career. He was already way ahead, yeah. so he sorted me out. But, you know, without that, it would have been really tough at the time to live in Brighton especially and and make it work. And that is true, yeah, you do. You do a lot of stuff for free, Mm. so you can prove yourself, you can prove your worth and your value and Mm. then things start to come, people start to come back and then you can start saying, yeah. you know, this is what it's going to cost, you know. Yeah. So look,
0: I've really enjoyed this. It's, it's been, been a fantastic uh, insight. You know, I said even, it's always surprising me I can know someone for, you know, the best part of 10 years and yeah. still go, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> um, but where, what does the future look like? You know, I mean, in an absolutely ideal world, you know, do you set yourself you know life goals or benchmarks to try and hit
1: or are you just gonna see where the the river takes you you know i guess a little bit of both but i kind of know some areas of things like I, i i want tosca to be able to fill venues that are bigger and better and be able to tour with those bands that i look up to and play with like carnival and animals as leaders and Mm -hmm. because when we sound similar we can fit with Mm -hmm. them but i would love to have an experience with ben and dave where we can tour like the states do asia and australia that would be cool um always be creating music and stuff like that but i think that's the goal there as a guitar player i just feel like nowadays i just want to be as well-rounded as i could possibly be Mm -hmm. so i can dabble in x y and z genres because i I just love that. So that's always been a goal, is just to progress, but in every area I possibly can as a player. Do you know what I mean? So could we expect, like, a a,
0: a, a country album from you in a couple years' time, or, uh, you
1: know? I definitely love doing the kind of music, like... um, you know, like what Snarky do, and like yeah, yeah. you know, Lettuce and P- Eric Krasno, and this kind of jam bandy, like souly fusion stuff. Like, I, I'm such a fan of it, mm. and I do that in my own time. But it's never what you see on YouTube. Only very rarely does it do. Yeah. Do I do that? So later down the line, I mean, I love Fenders and Strats, and I'll be playing a blues rig and just ripping it. And that's that's what I'd love to do further down the line when I'm bored of playing really loud, heavy amps <laughs> <laughs> with loads of gain. You know. Well, look, uh, I'm
0: whatever, wherever life takes you, there'll always be a place for you here to kind of beautiful words. Sleep or appreciate or eat some food or whatever. Who knows? Maybe you know, we could resurrect your somewhat disastrous career as a salesman in Andertons, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I was so bad at
1: that. <laughs> yeah. it, didn't, it
0: didn't last very long. No, end, it was really. about a month, I think, if that. I think I did three weekends. I think so. <laughs> anyway, um, look, man, thank you very much. It's thank lovely you. again to have you on yeah. you know, a proper format. Um, hopefully, we'll play out with something now, but links below if, if for some crazy reason you, this is the first time you've seen Rabir Links in the description below for where you can find out more. Um, and yes, thank you very much for watching, everybody. Uh, we shall see you next time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to our latest podcast. If you enjoyed it, hit that subscribe button. See you next time.